0: Hey, good morning, Northeast. Welcome to the series Live, Die, Give as we look at the call of Jesus to come and follow him. It's an important series for us because we want our church, we want you to understand what it means to follow Jesus, not just as a Sunday disciple, but as Because Christ's call is to daily discipleship. But it's also important to us because we want to equip you in this series to help others live as daily disciples too, with language, with tools to wrap our heads around what is disciples who every day are in pursuit of Jesus. For that reason, as we get into this series, I want to challenge you to do three things with us. First, I want to challenge you to be with us every week because each week builds on the preceding week. And we work together to give us a good, solid grid of what it means to follow him Secondly, though, I want to challenge you again to join with us reading through the words of Jesus, the Gospels, over the next 12 weeks. It makes no sense what it means to follow him if we're not immersing ourselves in his life. So even if you haven't joined us yet and you're thinking, well, I'm already a week behind, here's the deal. The dates of the reading don't matter as much as you're getting your heart into his word. If you don't keep up, Fine, just get back on the horse and keep pursuing Jesus. And if you're at a different pace, a slower pace, even a faster pace, great. It's more important to in the scriptures than you're following our plan for it. Okay. Third thing is, let's do this as a group. If you're not in a group at Northeast, now's a great time to reach out and ask about that. I know it's a weird season, maybe. Maybe your group's meeting via Zoom right now. Fine. We just want you having these discussions as a group because each and every week in this series, we're writing a discussion guide along with a series because we want you to unpack it further together with those that you're walking out life with. Because ultimately, it's about being daily together, not alone in isolation. Last week, we kicked off with the words of Jesus that if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And we talked about what that meant. And the first step living for Christ then in that way is to surrender daily. We saw it in Christ's language in Matthew chapter 16. He wasn't calling us to just one-time decision but daily discipleship. His language was that of ongoing pursuit of Jesus. And so the first step to live for Christ is to surrender daily. Love the way that C.S. Lewis put it. We said this last week or repeated. Relying on God has to begin all over again every day as if nothing has yet been done. That's the posture of really discipleship. Relying on him, surrendering him every day as if nothing has yet been done. But here's the thing. How is it that sometimes, like, like what do you do when you set out with the best of intentions on Christ on that given day? only to completely blow it? What do you do when you set out with the best of intentions to follow him, only to find that by day's end, you're mad at your kids, you're your spouse, and you're stressing about your future? What does it look like to follow Jesus when you can't keep those thoughts away and they keep invading in your mind? What does it follow him as a daily disciple when your heart keeps circling back around that that hurt? What does it look like to follow him when those old habits and temptations are constantly whispering in your ear? I think for many of us, we want to live for Christ. We really do. The problem is our flesh keeps getting in the way. So how do we live for Christ when it feels constantly failing as a Christian? Turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Because in Romans, we're going to find that Paul not only acknowledges this problem, this hard reality, but he gives us the remedy for how to walk with Jesus every single day. Romans chapter eight. Romans is in the New Testament, two thirds of the way through your Bibles. It's after the Gospels—Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts—then Romans. Uh, if you hit First and Second Corinthians, you've gone too fast. Go and do not collect two hundred dollars. Turn around. Uh, if you have your physical Bible, we do want you there to turn there with us, or your digital, pull it up on whatever app. I want it in front of you. I want you to read along with us this week as we look at what Paul says about that tension we feel when we for Christ, but we feel like we keep failing. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law that you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. order that The righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things to live according to the spirit, set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. The flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him, but if Christ is in you, meaning you place your faith in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will Also give life to your mortal bodies through his dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are not debtors. We are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all the Spirit of God are sons of God. Now just stop there at the end of 14. Paul's been writing to this church, the church in Rome. And he wants to help them understand that we are saved, not by what we do, but by what God has done for us. Our works. But Paul then directs that we are saved by grace alone, God's grace, kindness to us alone, through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. So understand, God is not waiting for you. He's not waiting for you to fix You, so that he can love you and save you. He knows you are incapable of that, so he sent his son for you, that his son would do for you what you cannot do for yourself. We are saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And so, if you're trying alone, you're probably failing and feeling very much alone. And Paul writes this to help them understand salvation, but not just understand salvation. He wants to help them understand what it looks like to live into their salvation and live in the power of every single day. And just prior to this, Paul acknowledges this very thing, this very dilemma that we were, uh, were talking about a moment ago. Paul says in chapter seven that he has a desire to live for Christ, yet he doesn't, he falls short. Listen to the words, Verses 18 and 19, I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Paul says in chapter 7, I want to do good, I have the desire there, but I keep going back to what I know I shouldn't do. And the thing I shouldn't do, I do. And the thing I, I know I should do, I don't do. Paul's dealing with this dilemma. What's the answer to the dilemma? That leads to chapter eight. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Last week, we talked about what it means to be justified. Justification meaning that when you place your faith in Jesus, God makes you right before him. You're justified. It's a legal that declares you not guilty. Paul's reminding us of that right here. There is therefore now no condemnation. If you place your faith in Jesus, no condemnation said verse two, he says, the law of the spirit has set you. You are now free. But wait, 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 wait. If I'm free, why do I keep falling? Why do I keep stumbling back into my sin? And Paul, if you're free, why is it that you just acknowledge that you struggle to do the right thing? And indeed, you say you can't. So what's going on? What Paul is going to acknowledge here, and what we're going to see in Romans chapter eight, is that we struggle, try to live for Christ in our own strength, instead of submitting to the Spirit. So look at verse three: For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not. Paul's saying, "Hey, that God through Jesus has done and accomplished what you cannot do." In your own flesh. God sent Christ because Christ was able to walk the sinless life to be perfect for your sin. Not you. God has done what you could not do. And he's done this. Now look at verse four. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the Spirit. So he said, God has done this so that the righteous requirement of the law, we might be able to be right before God and live up to the right requirement of God. But not if we in the flesh, he says. God did what you could not do. But for you to live up to the righteous requirement requires not you, but the one in you, the Holy Spirit. He has given you what you need to do, that which you cannot do. But if you try to do it in your flesh, meaning alone in your own power, that's what Paul means by flesh, in your own strength or power, you're not going to be able to do it. The reason why so many of us have the best of intentions but keep on failing It's because we're trying to do something in our own strength. When God openly acknowledges it was never designed that way, you need my strength to do it. Right before God is not by walking in the flesh. The only way you can live for Christ, to use our nomenclature, every day as a daily disciple is if you stop trying in your own strength and you instead submit to His. See, here's the problem. As Christians, we come to this place, we sing these songs, we acknowledge these truths in this time on Sunday morning. And as Christians, only God saves. And then we get up from these seats and we go out to lunch and we try to do everything on our own strength every day after. We sing these songs and we thank God for his grace. Remind ourselves that only Jesus could save us. But then we leave the room trying to do everything else under our own power. Paul's saying, this is a problem and this is why the thing you want to do, you don't do. And the thing you know you shouldn't do, you don't do He says, and I do it too. Not to turn that into a Dr. Seuss rhyme, but. And so he wants in this passage to introduce us and teach us to the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. One of the of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer is to empower us to do that which we cannot do on our own. You're not to walk in the flesh, he says. You've been given a new spirit and the Holy Spirit, the role of the Holy Spirit is to empower you to do what you do. So stop trying to do it on your own and start trusting and submitting to the power of the Holy Spirit. The role of the Holy Spirit in the life of follower Jesus is to empower us to do that which we cannot do ourselves. Think about it this way. Imagine that you were your eyeballs in debt. I mean, just loaded with that. In fact, who here is just absolutely up to your eyeballs in debt? I'm kidding. Do not acknowledge that. That would be embarrassing. But imagine that you are just up to your eyeballs in debt. And imagine now that the credit card holder, the, the mortgagee, whoever it is that holds all that at, calls you and says, hey, we realize that you are trapped, that it is suffocating. And so here's the thing. We are going to forgive I mean, how would that feel? What would you do? The wake of that, fo- you would get that phone call. You would be ecstatic. The minute you hung up that phone, you would probably turn to your spouse, your significant other. You'd turn to your family. You'd be like, let's go out for steak, right? And the problem, right? the bank calls you and they forgive everything. But the problem is not just that you're in debt. The problem is the habits that led you to get there in the first place. And though your credit card company could forgive you, The problem is your habits that keep taking you right back to that spot of ordering things in the heat of the moment. The fact that you struggle, and when you struggle, you go shopping. The fact that you can't delete the Amazon app, and so things keep showing up at your door. And it's so easy to do. So now listen to what Paul is saying in Romans chapter eight. When he speaks about God, he says things about us. First, God knows that you're in debt and you can't do a thing about it. God knows that you need forgiveness and not something that you can offer, something that only he can do to to pay the debt against you. But God doesn't just forgive you and then leave you. Because God knows a second thing about us. He knows that with forgiveness, we will keep going back to our flesh. And so God doesn't just forgive us, he implants in us his spirit to begin that work of sanctifying us and transforming us. We Gain a new life and a new habits and we learn a new way to live to the glory of God. He doesn't just forgive the debt. He teaches us a new way to live debt-free. Makes sense? All the Dave Ramsey fans are like, this is a great analogy, right? But Paul said it first. And we need this work inside of us because without this work inside of us, Paul says we will continue to live in the flesh and fall back then into fleshly things but this does involve a commitment on our part, it involves a, a daily decision. I would call this a daily posture then. So reread with me verses 5 through 8. Romans through 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. For those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For the For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit, and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Striking language from Paul. What he according to the flesh, they set their minds on the flesh. They fix their minds on it. And when you do that, you get what the flesh offers, death. Instead, he's calling us to set our minds on the spirit. We get what the spirit offers, which is life and peace. That phrase, set the mind. You see it repeated in this refrain multiple times in those few verses we read. Set their minds, set their minds, set the mind, set the mind. It's really one word, one word. It really means to put your mind to something with tenacity, with with uh, this this kind of determination. We we use this in our culture a lot, right? We refer to people like, man, when he sets his mind to something, he gets after it, done. Look out for that guy, look out for that girl, because when they set their mind to something, they're going to do it. You're not going to talk them out of it. We use this to talk about our kids, right? There's the one kid that has no ambition, the other one that's, like, man, when he sets his mind to something, he's going to do it, even if it's wrong. Paul's saying, hey, you need to set your mind, meaning you to put your mind to this in the same way that we admire those people with such tenacity that when they put their mind to something, it's going to get done. He said, set your mind on the Spirit. Point that with such tenacity, you live into God's things, God's kingdoms, God's values, the Spirit's direction, His voice in your life instead of your own. And you're so tenacious in that pursuit that you ultimately begin to live the life of the Spirit instead of the life of the flesh. What does this mean? It means that you cannot live for Christ unless you set your mind every day and every moment of the day to walk in the spirit. Like, I need your spirit in this. I'm I'm heading into this conversation, Lord. This person frustrates me so much, and I will speak with frustration if my mind is set in the flesh, but God, I will speak like Jesus with grace Truth will come out if I've set my mind on the Spirit. And Lord, I need you to interrupt me. I need you and your Spirit to interrupt what may come out of my flesh, so I'm submitting to you. Moment by moment, day by day, every scenario we are submitting to him. This is why we're challenging you to join us in the reading plan, because if we want Christ's direction in our life, we have to submit ourselves to it. We've gotta submerse ourselves in his word let it marinate in our lives. In the midst of that, be saying to the Lord, Lord, help me live this out so that I don't live my own way and my own direction. See, because here's the thing, without God's help, I'm not gonna honor God. God's help, I'm gonna honor Drew. Without God's help, Drew's gonna do great. Until sin and death. And that's always where it's gonna go for me. But if I'm living and submitted and I'm able to do do the things that deep down I wanna do, I wanna follow you, Jesus, and I need your strength to do that. I love the quote by John Stott. He says, The Spirit of God leads the people of God to submit to the Word of God. See, because even in reading these, these words, but I need the Spirit of God to help me live them out. I need the Spirit of God to bring them up to me each and every day. And John Stott says the Spirit of God leads the people of God to submit to the Word of God so that we actually do the things that God is to do. Because otherwise, it's so easy to become a routine. And you know it. You've probably experienced it. Read through a passage. What did you read today? Ah, something about Jesus. Right And how quickly we forget, how quickly we don't live into it. Without the Spirit of God, we can't live into it. We need His Spirit within us. Let's go back then to our grid, our triangle grid. We've introduced this to you last week. We're going to refresh you on it most every week in this series right? You there created by God, uh, beautifully, wonderfully made. You bear his image, except that the, the book of Genesis tells us we chose not to embrace God's authority, but instead pursued our own direction, and we sinned captive to sin. We're constricted by our sin. The very thing that Paul is talking about here, that you in your flesh cannot please God. And so God needed to interrupt that. He so loved the world that he sent him to us to die for us. Romans 5, 8, while we were sinners, Christ came And God breaches through the sin, creates this relationship with us. When we place our faith in him, we are saved, made right, and righteous. But now it's on us to rely on him every day as though nothing has yet been done. As we do that more and more, he does this inward work in our hearts, this inner transformation, new creation, is designed to work out of us, right, into our relationships, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our world. He invites us to be ambassadors on his behalf. But this requires this daily commitment then, this daily commitment that we live for Christ, not for that we die to self and we give our lives in service to others. But then we drew this little line, if you remember, and we closed with this, this little line, and this little line is where the work of the Holy Spirit starts to come in. Because the, we need the Spirit to awaken us, to so we even know we need Jesus. But all the more, without the Spirit of Christ, we can't do anything below that. Like, we can't do anything. We can't even live for Christ without him, really. But, but it would be impossible to yourself and stop failing. And it's certainly impossible to give your life in service to others, especially those you struggle with. And so we surrender daily, but we also have to submit to the Spirit. Why? For Christ, we must live from Christ. Paul's saying we must live from the power that has been given to us. And if we don't do that daily, we will so quickly, so quickly revert to our own will, our own desires. It's through his power we're able to live for Christ, die. Self, give our lives in service to others. I love the way that the psalmist put it in Psalm 143, verses 9 and 10. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. I love the the picture of this relationship and this submission to the Spirit that Paul talks about in the New Testament. The psalmist is wrestling, there's crisis, there's enemies, and it's this crushing weight on him, and he's praying, and he's God, but he's also inviting him to do the work because he knows he cannot do it himself. So teach me to do your will. Like, God, I I can read it, but if your Spirit isn't teaching me, I'm never going to do it. And to lead me on level ground, because when my spirit takes over, I go right off that level ground, down off the cliff in a heartbeat into the cliff of sin and shame and guilt. And God, if you don't lead me and I'm not submitted to your spirit at all, it will be rocky. And my life is a testament of that for sure. I imagine you could probably testify to that too. So what does God do? He gives us the spirit so that we can pursue every single day. But we have to lean into it, submit to it. Paul says in Romans 8, verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies. So what Paul's doing here is saying, hey, if you feel like this is impossible, like it's impossible, I'm never going to go over this hang up. I'm never going to get better. I'm always going to just be this basket case who is falling short of what Jesus has called me to do. Saying, no, take courage because the spirit that raised Christ from the dead, from the grave, is in you. And if that spirit has the power to raise him, it most certainly has the power to transform you. So keep, leaning in. God is not gonna leave you as you are. It's not his desire. He desires to draw you day by day closer to him and transform you. But God calls us daily, submit daily, surrender to this work. That's why in verse 13, he says, if you live according to the spirit, you will die. But if by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you'll live. This is the tension in the text that it's God's work, but he calls us to be a part of it. It's God's gift of the spirit, but he calls us with that spirit that we need to put to death these things in our bodies. We're gonna spend several weeks more talking about what does it look like to die to self? These things in your life, we're gonna get there. But just understand, we can't understand how to do that unless we understand and know the power that's given to us so that we can even Begin to try. ...available to us. That's why he goes on and finishes saying in verse 26 that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't even know what to pray. Our prayers are a hot mess before Jesus. We don't know what to pray. We mess up the words. We're embarrassed because we feel like such a weak, little Christian. And God says, That's all right. I know that's why I gave you my spirit, and my spirit is there to help you in your weakness. Just submit to him, put your mind, putting your mind on your flesh. That means to live for Christ. If step one is to surrender daily, and Paul would say step two is to submit to the spirit. Surrender daily, and submit to the spirit, because without the In you, you will continue to do your own work in your own way by your own desires. We must submit to the Spirit every day. What does this look like for us? Let me just paint a a short and practical picture. A picture literally from my life this weekend. Rowdy, is this Week, I felt really good. Uh, I'd pursued God well, tons of ministry, a very busy week, and I just felt like, man, I had God had called me to. I'd stayed on the straight and narrow. I had pursued Him in my private life, in my private times, and, and so I, I kind of came through the work week feeling really good. The only problem with that is that when you come through the work week about yourself, you have a tendency to take your foot off the gas on Saturday mornings. Woke up Saturday morning and went to uh, an early ministry meeting, had breakfast, and because of that, breakfast was focused on the Lord and having conversations with the Lord. It it was really trying to get my mind there. But then after breakfast, went home and just started to enjoy my Saturday, and the wheels started coming off. My wife was asking for my help on things, and I was just not that helpful. I mean, the reality is that I started... To get an attitude. In our house, we call it spicy. And all afternoon, I was just spicy. And I was helping her, but not with a great attitude. And I was snapping back at things. And I I was being reactive and defensive. And my daughter wanted to play uh, uh, some board games with us in the afternoon. And the football game was on. It's playoff football. We only have a few more left. But she wants to play Candyland. And if you'd looked in from the window, you would have Candyland with her and thought, man, what a great father, except that my heart was so sideways about this Candyland. And I did it begrudgingly, and I wasn't happy, and I was short, and I was spicy. And the problem was what I had begun to do in the spirit, I had tried to finish in the flesh. And I'd started well. And then I closed off this little spiritual morning. And then because I'd closed off that spiritual stuff, I just went about my business relying on my own strength. And the fruit of that, Paul would say, was sin and death. Spicy Drew. And it's not good fruit. The reality is, it took a while for me to realize that, and what do you do when you realize it? You confess it and you get back up submit to him all over again as though nothing has yet been done. See, I started in the spirit, but I finished the day walking in the flesh. I wasn't the husband that my wife needed me to be, nor the husband needed me to be. Because so easily and so quickly in a moment, we can go right back to setting our mind on the flesh. And that's why submitting to the Spirit isn't just this one-time thing, it is a daily. And discipleship and following Jesus is a daily decision. That's why one of the most important habits for me and the most important postures in my life that I have to do, not just at the beginning of the day, but remind myself, through the day, is that I need Jesus. And so my time with him in the morning is so critical so that I get his direction and I get his bearing for my day. But in that time, it's really easy for me to just go through the most. And then again, turn off the spiritual and jump right into the flesh, right? And so one of the most important postures for me that I pass on to you as part of a rhythm in my life that I need to stay submitted to the Spirit is that I, read text. I pray before I read, I pray while I read, and after reading, I posture myself before the Lord, arms out, physically, literally, arms out and hands open and times on my knees. And I say to God, God, I can't do today alone. Arms out, hands open for me is a posture of submission. I can't do it today. I'm not strong enough. If I go into these meetings, I'll go in with my thoughts and my direction, and it won't be your thoughts and your direction, and they don't need that. So God, redeem it. Redeem me. Give me your words. Throughout the day, I try to remind myself of this posture. I can't go into this conversation. I can't go into this lunch meeting. I can't drive home and walk in the door in my flesh, or I won't serve. I won't be kind. I won't be patient. God, I need you. Hands open. Lord, you can put whatever you want in my life today, and I'm asking with arms out, hands open, take from my life that which will not glorify you. Refine me. And I do this every single day because every single day I need Jesus and every single day I need the posture of submission to his spirit or I will live in the flesh and I do it twice on Sundays because the very first thing that I do in my office and come in this room and preach the word is I get on my knees and hide around the corner so no one can see me and I say, Jesus, I need you because if I show up and I speak, It helps no one. Lord, you need to speak. I will mess this up. You need to speak. You need to move because it's your spirit, not mine, that brings life and peace. Would you be willing to take this up as a posture to the spirit? Maybe literally, maybe physically every day as you meet with him. Just posture yourself in the chair. Posture yourself with that coffee Posture yourself as you drive and listen to that music. Don't take your hands off the wheel, but just posture yourself and say, God, arms out, hands open. Today is your day. This life is your life. I want your will, not mine, but I need your direction and your spirit for any of that to happen. Arms out. And might we, as we close then, before we take communion together, might we take up this posture? Because in a moment, we're gonna be reminded of Christ's shed body. What's interesting to me is that in the scriptures, the scriptures call us together. They call us to do this regularly, to come back to this moment. Why? Because God knows that we don't just need him once. Coming back and surrendering our lives to him. So would you bow with me in prayer? Perhaps after the week that you've had, after the weekend you've had, perhaps you find that you've been in the flesh than in the spirit. Would you be willing to take up a posture right now of submitting again to Him all over again as if nothing has yet been done? Maybe for you at home, for you here in the room, it's posturing yourself, arms out, hands open. If you need to get on your knees, get on your knees. Would you posture yourself to seek his face? And would you cry out to him and ask for his help? And would you in this moment ask the Holy Spirit to bring up to your attention anything in your life that's not pleasing to him, any area of your life where you're living into your strength and your direction going your own way? Would you be willing to confess that and surrender that back to him? Ask for him. To change you and teach you to live in a new way. If you want to talk to someone about a decision you've made or let us know how God is moving through this series, visit nebc.chslash contact. Be sure to stay connected with us throughout the week on social media or by subscribing to our weekly podcast. You can also stay up to date with the latest information about what's going on here at Northeast by subscribing to the Northeast News, our periodic newsletter that comes right to your inbox to keep you in the know. Thanks for listening to today's message, and we hope that you join us as we continue to make disciples on mission for Jesus Christ.